So for those of you who were here yesterday, you know that my theme this year for the Triduum are the gifts that Christ has left his church before he departed to ascend to the right hand of the Father. Not just looking at the gifts and what they are, but instead looking a little more closely to see how these gifts often come packaged in a way that we would not expect, and often in a way that can be very challenging for us to understand. Yesterday we looked at the greatest gift, the gift of the Eucharist and its connection to the gift of the priesthood. Today it should be quite clear what we are going to be talking about, and that is the, the second most perfect gift that Jesus gives to us, and that is his own mother, Mary. We'll read from the Gospel of John today, and we hear towards the end, seeing Mary at the foot of the cross, and Jesus speaking both to her and to John, the beloved disciple, giving John to Mary, and Mary to John as mother and son. And so, through the tradition of understanding this passage, we believe that in giving Mary to John, Jesus gave Mary to all of us as our mother. And we are called, as John was, to take her into our heart, into our home, into our things. It's also a sign, this is something a lot of people may not realize, that Mary was perpetually a virgin, that Jesus had no other brothers, that those other passages that caused so much confusion for other people are referring to cousins or other relatives. Because if Jesus had brothers and sisters, then it would have been their responsibility to take care of Mary the widow. If she did indeed have other brothers and sisters and they weren't there, then she'd have been a terrible mother. And we know that's not possible. And so it is the clearest argument that Jesus was the first and only born of the Virgin Mary. And so throughout the tradition of the church, this Marian piety, Marian devotion, has always been so crucial. We have our rosaries and chaplets and consecration, devotions, the flowers of the Marian altars, the beautiful statues. And Mary, for all of us, and myself included, particularly during difficult times, can be a source of great consolation. But as you're probably guessing, there's a catch. While indeed Mary is our mother, we receive her as our mother on Calvary, the foot of the cross, which means that Mary comes with the sword, the sword of suffering that pierced her heart throughout her entire life, culminating in her watching helplessly her own son suffer and die on the cross. And then to hear him give her away to John, quite possibly her taking it as somewhat of a rejection. Colonel Ratzinger beautifully writes about this when he says, Mary's path includes the experience of rejection. When she is given away under the cross, this experience becomes a participation in the rejection that Jesus himself had to endure on the Mount of Olives and on the cross. Only in this rejection 
can the new come to pass? Only in a going away can the true coming take place. Marian piety is thus necessarily a passion-centered piety. And the prophecy of the aged Simeon who foretold that a sword would pierce Mary's heart. The gift of Mary as our mother comes with a share in the cross. Can't have one without the other. Can't have one without the other. And I don't think necessarily it is so much a share in the physical suffering of Christ or any sort of exterior pain, but something that is greater, deeper, more interior suffering. Mainly, I think, for those who are really dedicated to Mary as their mother is a sharing in Mary's faith. And Mary, in sharing her life and sharing her memory, gives us a share in her very faith in Jesus. And so for so many, when we talk about our, our Catholic faith, we say it is a consolation during difficult times. And I'm not negating that's true. I'm not saying that that's false. However, I think sometimes we can tend to confuse faith with vision. That we feel really, really good. That our faith gets us through as if it's some type of vision of God that we see. But that's simply not what faith is. Faith is something dark. It is belief in things that you cannot see and you cannot fully understand. It's not easy to truly walk in faith. When we talk about growing in faith, uh, again, I think sometimes people think we're going to get some pixie dust in our heads. No, it's not the way it works at all. If we're going to grow in faith, it's going to get more difficult. It's going to get darker. I quoted Flannery O'Connor yesterday. I'm going to do it again today. She says in one of her letters, I think that there is no suffering greater than what is caused by the doubts of those who want to believe. I know what torment this is, but I can only see it, in myself anyway, as the process by which faith is deepened. A faith that just accepts a child is a child's faith, and all right for children. But eventually you have to grow religiously, as every other way, though some never do. What people don't realize is how much religion costs. They think faith is a big electric blanket, when of course it is the cross. It is much harder to believe than not to believe. We get grace. It is something that the Lord gives to us, the grace, the virtue, infused in us of faith, but it doesn't make it easy. Faith is continuing to believe even when things are dark and difficult and trials come and things don't make sense. Faith is Mary at the foot of the cross. She didn't have vision. She didn't see all of God's plan. It wasn't explained to her. It was there. She knew who her son was and to watch him suffer and die. She always believed but she didn't fully grasp how does this all make sense. So, if faith is dark, and Mary is the greatest example of faith, then Mary's faith is the darkest. Now, if you don't believe me, again, listen to our friend Cardinal Ratzinger. She says, therein lies her true fame, 
that Mary remained a believer despite all the darkness and all the inexplicable demands God made on her. Today, God is still mysterious. Indeed, he seems to have a special kind of obscurity in store for each person's life. But could he ever render any life as dark and incomprehensible as he did Mary's? Blessed is she who believed, even when the faith became a sword that pierced her heart. This is the real reason for her greatness and her being called blessed. She is the great believer. Powerful stuff. Now, what we might ask is somewhat of an aside. How is Mary's faith, her yes to God's will amidst this darkness, connected to Christ's cry on the cross? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It is indeed a share in it. As in any experience of darkness and redemptive suffering, the dark night of the soul is. But the difference is, Jesus Christ did not have faith. Christ had the beatific vision in his human intellect. He saw God face to face at every moment of his life from his conception. And the question is, how is it possible that Jesus could suffer? How is this darkness, this experience of abandonment possible? And so, John Paul II, St. John Paul II, uses St. Therese, the mystical experience of saints who have been so holy, so close to God, but yet experienced a trial of faith in order to explain this mystery. He says, in the same way Therese of Lisieux lived her agony in communion with the agony of Jesus, experiencing it in herself, the very paradox of Jesus' own bliss and anguish. In the Garden of Olives, our Lord was blessed with all the joys of the Trinity, Therese says. Yet this, his dying was no less harsh. It is a mystery, but I assure you that on the basis of what my, I myself am feeling, I can understand something of it. It's the lived theology of the saints, that they are so close to the Lord but yet can experience that interior darkness, but never doubt, never fall away, knowing that the Lord is still present. And so we, in our own experience of darkness, are possibly looking at the world around us, the chaos, the violence, the rejection of faith, the suffering, the persecution. It's easy for us to look at the darkness there and also in ourselves and say, where is God? Why is he silent? Why doesn't he do something? But we, like Mary and like Therese, and knowing that this is a share in the passion of Christ, should not despair, should not give up, should not be discouraged. So what is the key? What is the key for persevering in faith when it gets dark with Mary as our mother when that sword pierces our heart. The key is this, and Our Lady shows it to us, amidst the darkness and the suffering and the chaos, you and I can still love. We can still love God. We can still love our neighbor. Look at Mary, the foot of the cross, the darkness, but yet the love for her son Jesus, willing to die in his place. 
and in the reception of John into her own immaculate heart at the darkest hour. You could even know that Mary loved those who were crucifying and spitting on and condemning her son, even in that difficult time. And in doing so, Mary and John and all of us who choose to love through the darkness, whether it be interior or exterior, are creating something that St. John Paul II called zones of freedom. Zone of freedom. What is this? John Paul II grew up with so much tyranny and bloodshed under the communist regime, much worse than anything we are facing now. But he never despaired. Instead, he built what is called, one would call an extraordinary network of friendship. Him and lay people who would travel, who would eat together, put on plays, pray, discuss theology. Most important, become friends and love each other in Christ, laying the groundwork for the collapse of communism in Poland. Not by violent resistance, of course, along with solidarity, but this is solidarity. As George Weigel, the papal biographer, says, quote, being a group of friends, rediscovering love of neighbor, love of God, and love of truth. No matter how hard it seemed in the time of John Paul II, they still were able to find freedom, living under one of the worst tyrannical regimes the world has ever known, loving God and loving each other as friends. Mary and John and John Paul II and his friends and all of us in our community, our families, our friendships are create, called amidst the darkness to create these zones of freedom. And so as we prepare to venerate the cross, entering into the darkness of Holy Saturday, waiting for the resurrection of Jesus, here's the homework. Here are the things over the course of these coming hours we can meditate upon. First of all, is our faith childlike? Do we still have the same faith we did when we were 10 years old? Or has it deepened? Because of darkness, or when that darkness and trial came, we couldn't take it anymore, and we pushed away. Have we been willing to allow our faith to grow? Number two, what role, if any, does Mary have in our spiritual life? I don't see how we can be devout Catholics and love Jesus without having a real devotion to Mary. What role does Mary play in our spiritual life? And finally, what are we doing in our own friendships and our love of our family and our brothers and sisters to create these zones of freedom during the difficult times that we may be facing? And so remember, in closing, no matter how dark it gets, we believe that Jesus entered the same darkness, the darkness of sin, the darkness of death, in order to experience it himself and to be there in solidarity with us, creating his own zone of freedom so he could conquer it from within. Let us keep this in mind in our heart as we wait and hope for the dawning of the eternal light in Christ at Easter. Amen.